Please take a Bible, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Luke There's a television show that some of you have probably seen on the Home Channel, and it's called Extreme Makeover. That could have been a title for the first year of Barbara and my marriage together, because <laughs> she was going to make me over, which uh, I needed, and uh, she did. Uh, she tried anyway. But uh, there's always adjustments um, when you first get married. And, uh, not that I've done it multiple times, but uh, <laughs> I just realized how that sounded. Uh, I was. Uh, I was blessed with a wife uh, who enjoys cooking, and uh, that's good because I, I don't enjoy it. Uh, the only thing I know in the kitchen is where the bowls for the ice cream are and the spoons. That was about it. And uh, my, my family did, did not, when I was growing up, we didn't really eat together, not, not often. My, my sister was a few years older, and then she went off to college, and my dad, uh, with his job, kind of had strange hours at times and so often my mother would just prepare something and give it to me and she didn't like to cook she was a school teacher not that all school teachers don't like to cook but that just wasn't her thing and so she she uh I grew up on fish sticks <laughs> do they still make those yeah they do oh Barb don't get any ideas I, I just wondered I mean I ate so many of those things growing up or uh instant whatever uh, so uh, I get married, and, and Barb's used to a family that, uh, that sits down and eats together. Uh, and what I noticed quickly was that she would say, be careful now, that plate's hot. And if she didn't say it, I had burned fingers numerous times to show it. I, I'd never seen a hot plate before. I mean, if my mother had put the plastic or paper plates we used in the oven, they would have melted or burned up. And so Barbara would, she would serve food, uh, on a hot plate to keep keep it hot. That was just standard procedure. I mean, it's pretty cool when you think about it. But so then we, uh, I wondered where where did this practice come from? I mean, you don't you don't exactly look it up in a, a dictionary or something. And I, so we go to her house for her parents' house to uh, for Christmas. The first we've gotten married, and now we go to Christmas. And boy, if that isn't awkward. Uh, we're going to bed now. I mean, I, <laughs> what do I say? You know, I'm sorry. I, I mean. Uh, I've talked to more guys that once they get married, how do they act the first time they, they go and stay overnight in their, their in-law's house. And uh, so uh, I'm sitting at the table, and Barbara's mom goes, Here, be careful now, the place hot. I realize, okay, this is where this practice comes from. And she probably learned it from her mother or perhaps going on back. We have practices in our lives that come down through families, family traditions that Many of us do, and we may not have any idea how did this get started. We do that in the church. We have uh, traditions. We have things we do that, that had a beginning at some point, and, and often we don't know exactly why they had that beginning, but when we come to the Lord's Supper, we know precisely why we have it. And so today, when we, we try to have communion monthly, and I try at least once a year to preach about communion. And I don't know if it's been a year or two, but 
So I want us to look at the passage where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And it's found here in Luke chapter 22, verses 1 to 20. So if you'll follow along, hear God's word. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the, on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, with the psalmist, we recognize that how can a young man keep his way pure but by keeping it according to thy word. Uh, so we pray now it would be a light to our path, it would be food to our souls, in Jesus' name, amen. How did the Lord's Supper begin? And we find it here in Luke chapter 22. Uh, it tells us that, that it was uh, here on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as that drew near, as the Passover season. The Passover was a meal observed annually by the Jewish people to commemorate their deliverance from from bondage in Egypt. That's what Passover was, pointing back to when the angel of death passed over the houses that had the blood of the lamb sprinkled or put on the doorpost. And so the meal was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I'm going to move quickly through the passage. Uh, in verses 2 to 6, we have Judas and, his, and the enemies of Jesus plotting uh, to take Jesus out. His enemies, it tells us in verse 2, are looking for an opportunity, how they might get to him. 
how they might kill him. They are angry at Jesus' sermons. They are angry at how the multitudes have responded positively toward him. And so they needed an insider that could tell them when Jesus would not be surrounded by people. And that man comes forward on his own, and that's Judas. So he takes the initiative, and they plan to give him money for his betrayal. And so Judas leaves and begins to put the plan into motion. Then beginning in verse 7, we have the Passover meal preparation and the meal itself. It would be Thursday of that week. Jesus would be crucified the next day. He probably went to the temple that morning to preach, as was his custom. And then afterwards, he sends Peter and John on ahead of him in the city. And I read the passage. He directs them to look for a man who will be carrying a pitcher of water and that that man will guide them to a house where there will be an upper room where he will prepare, they will prepare the Passover meal. Verse 14 jumps ahead. Now it's evening. Jesus and the disciples are gathered in this upper room and they are reclining at the table. Jesus was probably at the head of the table because that's where the father and a family would sit when they were observing the Passover meal. Verse 15, he says he desired to eat the Passover with his disciples this last time. Perhaps he wanted the comfort and encouragement from their fellowship in light of the suffering and torture that he knew lay just hours ahead of him. Now Luke does not go into the details of the Passover meal. You could tell They observe it, but he doesn't give the details. He, he jumps right ahead to Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. So I want to tell you and this is not from Luke, this is from other places in the scripture, what would have happened over a period of perhaps a couple of hours in that upper room as they observed the Passover meal. The Passover meal was focused around four cups of wine. It kind of went through four stages. And so here's how it would happen. And as I said, it goes back to Egypt when the Jews were slaves there, and the meal rehearses what took place when God delivered them from slavery. The first cup of wine that would be poured was called the first cup of wine and the fruit of the vine. So the fruit of the vine and the father, in this case Jesus, the rabbi, the leader in this group, who was presiding over the Passover meal, he would call this the fruit of the vine and he would call upon the group to give thanks and offer their gratitude to God, which they would do. And then, after holding up this cup, he would take a mixture of bitter herbs, he would dip those herbs in salt water, and he would give some of this to each person around, around the table. And so with Jesus and his disciples, there were at least 12 gathered, plus Jesus, around, around the table, maybe a few more. Then there would be poured a second cup of wine, but no one drinks of that yet. And then Jesus would have reminded them of God's promises to Abraham. He would recall how God had been faithful at the Exodus as he brought them out of Egypt. He would talk about the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And then after a lengthy explanation of all of those things, they would sing together. What did they sing? Well, they sang the Psalms. They sang Psalm 113 and Psalm 114. And those Psalms express praise and thanksgiving to God for what he has done, his mighty acts of redemption. Then they would drink that second cup of wine. Now we come to the third part 
and this is the main part of the meal. This is primarily when they would eat. The father, or the leader, would explain that the bitter herbs that he had handed out earlier are reminders of the bitterness of their affliction of slavery for so many years in Egypt. And on the table, there would be unleavened bread, at least two loaves of unleavened bread. And that's a reminder of how when they left Egypt, they had to leave in haste. Pharaoh said, go, remember? And they did not have time even to add yeast to the bread. And that bread on the table was called the bread of affliction. The Passover lamb represents God's passing over and sparing the lives of the firstborn. And so on the table would be the bitter herbs, would be the unleavened bread, would be the Passover lamb that had been prepared, that had been cooked. You begin eating at that point, and, and the person presiding would take the, the two large cakes of unleavened bread, and he would break it into pieces, and that was to symbolize that because of their poverty in Egypt, they did not have whole loaves of bread, but only pieces of bread, and he would give thanks. And then each person would break off a couple of pieces of that unleavened bread as it was passed around. And they would put those bitter herbs that had been handed out earlier, it would put them between them, and they would dip that into a puree of dates and raisins and vinegar. And then you would take that unleavened bread with that puree and so forth, you would eat it, and you would also eat a piece of the Passover lamb. So that's the main meal. Then, to conclude that, the third cup of wine, they would drink it at that point. And it's called the cup of blessing. And a special thanksgiving to God is said over it. And again, a reminder of thanksgiving of the Ten Commandments and how that was ratified with the blood of bulls and, and so forth. Then finally, you would sing again. And whereas they had sung Psalm 113 and Psalm 114, now they sing Psalm 115 and Psalm 118. And a final a fourth cup of wine is poured. And their hearts were filled with praise and joy. Then they would drink that fourth cup of wine. And the feast is over. That was it. These, most of these disciples had probably observed this in the families they grew up in every year all of their lives. It would be rote. They would all know what was coming. And it was looked forward to. It was, a, it was a time of joy. It was a time of remembrance of God's deliverance. But now on this night, Jesus changes everything. Now he institutes something completely different. Verse 16, he says, He will eat the Passover meal no more until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Christ has fulfilled this. There's no need now for us to observe a Passover meal. What it looked forward to has been fulfilled in Jesus. It would be like if 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 a father has been away from his family for many, many years and his children really don't even know he's been away in the military so many years and they, they only remember him and they look at pictures all the time and they looked at pictures and when he comes back, when he comes back and the day comes, the day happens and he returns and he says, I'm here, I'm here with you. You don't need those pictures anymore. You can put them away because I am here. I have fulfilled that. Now you can see me as I am. 
So he takes, then in verse 17, it says, he ta- it says, take this and divide it among yourselves. That's what's left over of the Passover meal. He says, take it, divide it among yourselves. Uh, do with it what you will. Because he says, I'm not partaking of this again. In verse 18, he's saying he will not drink of it anymore of the wine like that in the Passover meal until the Spirit is poured out. So in place of the Passover, it's Jesus saying, this is finished. He's going to institute something new. All right, are y'all still with me? And that's going to be this table before us, the Lord's Supper. Uh, at the end of the, well, not at the end, right before we partake of communion, we're going to do a responsive reading from the catechism as to what is a sacrament. Now, I'll just tell you the essence of that. A sacrament is something that is usually a very ordinary thing which has acquired a very special meaning. An ordinary thing that is given special meaning. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are what we understand as the two sacraments. What's more ordinary and common than water? What's more ordinary and common than bread and wine? So they take, a sacrament takes ordinary things to which they are given special meaning. With the Lord's Supper, first we have the bread. In verse 19, the giving of Christ's body, which he, he says to them. Uh, it shows that his, his body has been given, and now we partake of this bread. It doesn't feed us physically. Children often comment when church is over, that isn't much of a meal. The Lord's Supper? <laughs> you know, one little speck, kind of, one little piece? Well, it, it's not intended to, to, to feed us physically. It's intended to feed us spiritually. So the bread represents his feeding our souls of his obedience to God's law in his body. Then the wine represents his shedding of blood. The cup is a sign of the new covenant made with us. It commemorates the purchase of the covenant by the blood of Christ. And so when I partake of this, when I drink of this, the important thing is I realize his death was for me. Yes, it's for others too, but it's for me. I'm drinking this. This is a personal thing. Someone else cannot drink for me. I am doing this because I am trusting in Christ. And I remember his work on the cross for me. Now let me just draw three key applications as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. And these don't come from Luke. They come from 1 Corinthians 11 that we won't take the time to read now, but 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28 when Paul's giving instruction to the Corinthians about the Lord's Supper. First, we come to the Lord's table with a blend of reverence and joy. And probably no church gets it right. Probably no individual Christian gets it quite right. The tendency is to say, okay, we want to make it so reverent that it almost seems like a funeral and we're re-crucifying Christ. That's not what it's to be. Or we'll say we want it to be so joyful that it becomes capricious and and frivolous. And we're not contemplating what these things really mean. But we are to come with reverence and with joy, a celebration. A celebration as we come to the Lord's table. Now, here's why. He said we are to observe this until when? Speak to me. Until he comes again, until he returns. So if he died, and we're celebrating that, his death on our behalf, in, in, with the bread and the wine, and he's coming again, then something necessarily must have happened in between his death and his return. And that's the resurrection. That he was bodily resurrected from the grave. 
And so we celebrate that, that Christ is alive today. We celebrate the forgiveness of sins. We celebrate the gospel in Christ. Do you know that joy today? Life is hard. And there's probably a 10,000 life-controlling problems represented in this room. But we come with joy that's far bigger than the things we experience. We come with joy. We should come because we know Christ, that, that we can come today knowing that he will return for us. Second application. First is, is that we come with reverence and with joy. Second, we're to come having examined ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11, again. That we're told, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. That doesn't mean that any of us are worthy, but it mentions an unworthy manner. What's an unworthy manner? An unexamined manner. We're told, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Well, what, what are we to examine? What kind of introspection are we to observe before we come to the Lord's table? Well, we can be satisfied with our redemption, with our standing in Christ. I'm his son. I cannot be more his son. I've been adopted into his family through Christ. But I should never be satisfied or complacent with where I am in serving Christ. So I examine with questions. I examine my own heart. Is my relationship... With God healthy, am I pursuing holiness? Am I resisting temptation and putting sin to death? Am I growing in the means of grace, prayer, fellowship, worship, the scriptures, obedience? Am I confessing my sins regularly? Am I seeking to present every aspect of my being as a living sacrifice to God? Have I been a good steward of the time that God has given me? In other words, have I been using my time to make the most of every opportunity to serve Christ? Being a pastor, I'm around cemeteries more than most. And you see these footstones. And there's a footstone. It's got a name, and it may have a little insignia. And then it's got a date on the left, and it's got a date on the right. Date of birth, date of death, and what's in between? A dash. And if you, you've heard before, where are you and I? We're in that dash. Right now, we're the dash. We're in between those two dates for our lives. Are we making that dash count in the service of the Lord? How are my relationships with other people? Do I offer words of encouragement to my spouse, to my children, to other family members? Do I give words of encouragement to friends and coworkers? Do I value people? Do they feel valued by me? Am I praying for others on a regular basis? Do I have unresolved conflict with another person? Is it in my power to resolve that conflict? What steps can I take before the communion service to do so? Have I been a good steward with the resources God has given to me? Time, talent, and treasure. Am I generous with what God has given to me? Am I being enslaved by debt? Does my use of money reflect the priorities of putting God first? Have I been a good steward of my relationship with the Lord? Did I prepare for this worship service? Did you prepare your heart today before you came in here? I hope so. Do you make it a priority to pray each day? Do you seek to meditate on his word day and night? I could go on and on. This is just scratching the surface. I think that my understanding is that's the kind of examination. 
Am I in Christ? But then am I growing in Christ? Third application as we come is that we expect his return. We are to do this until he comes again. Which means that as we come to the table, we should contemplate the coming of Christ. That he will return again. And you say, when? I don't know, but we're a month closer than we were when we gathered before around this table a month ago. We're two months closer than when we did it two months ago. It's a week closer than it was last Lord's Day. But he will come again. And when he comes, will he find us faithful? And faithful to him. Let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you've instituted this Lord's Supper with simple elements that now we call sacraments because you give them special meaning. We pray that you'd help us to know our own hearts. We seem to go between the extremes of morbid introspection uh, or never looking inwardly at all, never taking an inward look. Give us a proper balance of reverence and joy even as we come to partake of your table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.